Our first reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 66. The reading begins thus, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is my resting place? All these things my hand has made and so all these things are mine, says the Lord. But this is the one to whom I look to the humble, the contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. The gospel this morning is from Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of the wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come nearer to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. I've always wanted to go to Norway, and look, here we are. Spectacular. Uh, And uh, it made me think that we actually, um, we have a Norwegian contingent, you know, here at Shepherd, and Bill and Nancy Pank are actually over visiting their son right now in Norway. I got an email from Bill this morning saying, I won't be in church. Thanks, Bill. (laughs) But (laughs) let us pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew, and so that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, It's been almost three weeks uh, since I've preached, and as I was getting ready for this week, um, it just dawned on me, so many things have happened in those three weeks Uh, And I know almost nobody, because I can tell you from my own personal perspective as a church attender, very few people, I think, sitting out in the pew, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, think of uh, being part of a church uh, collectively. I always thought that I was just sort of an individual coming to church, right? But pastors, from my point of view, I think of you like as a whole all the time. And, and so for the fact that I haven't preached in three weeks, I feel like I haven't had any communication with my family in like three weeks, which feels unusually weird, uh, especially given the fact that so many things have happened. Uh, so I'm going to tell you a, what I think are um, a bunch of uh, stories, and I'm going to tell you one story so that I can tell you the next story, and we'll see if we end up any place. Um, Let me start by saying this. First of all, if you didn't hear Pastor Joanna's sermon last weekend, you need to go hear it. 
Uh, it was a spectacular interpretation of the Gerasene demoniac in terms of thinking about who are the people in need in our community. It's up on our website and it's podcasted, so you can get it on every electronic device that you possibly have ever owned in your lifetime. Go listen to it today. It will be up this afternoon. I tell you that because one of the other things that has happened in the last couple of weeks is if you were here on Pentecost Sunday, uh, we had the chance to sit down as a family and have a bit of a conversation. How many of you were here on Pentecost Sunday? This isn't like an attendance check, I'm just checking. Um, from time to time, it's good as a family to sit down and have a family meeting, and we had the opportunity to do that on Pentecost Sunday, and Brian, uh, our elementary school coordinator, had the opportunity to share with us as a family why he's not going on internship next year. And the short version of that story is because Brian has revealed himself to be a gay man, and there were no ELCA congregations that would take Brian as uh, an intern pastor. I've learned since then there are less than 10% of ELCA congregations that are open and willing to consider the possibility of same-gendered or differently-gendered clergy. This is tragic, uh, and the fact that um, I haven't had the chance to talk about it just a little bit uh, has made me a little uneasy because I wanted to say two things. First, that is enormously shocking to me and disappointing that less than 10% of our congregations would be open to that possibility. I can't believe that's true. On the other hand, what I really want to say is how incredibly proud I am of us as a family and what happened that Sunday. If you have, and I hope you have, gotten our recent newsletter, you need to read it, especially Brian's article and his understanding of what happened. So important. And the fact that the congregation stood and gave him a standing ovation, uh, I went home and just sort of sat in my living room uh, and was so proud. Um, if it's okay for uh, a pastor to feel proud of his congregation or her congregation, I was so incredibly proud of who we were on that day. Uh, it just made me go home and feel good about who we are as a family. It also made me think that uh, we incredibly grateful because we are always heirs of those who have gone before us. And I think we don't think of that enough. Uh, there have been people and pastors and leaders here who led us to the place where that could take place and happen on Sunday morning within these four walls, and that was not always the case. So I am incredibly grateful to the clergy and to the church councils and to leaders in this congregation, uh, and especially to those who wrote our welcome statement. If you haven't read our welcome statement lately, you need to. Uh, for me, as somebody who's the leader of the family, it felt to me like the actual living out of what had been hoped for for so long as a family of faith. Not that it wasn't true before, but that somehow then suddenly we had this physical manifestation of an incredible open welcome to all. Uh, and I was so very proud. We are, in fact, heirs of those who have gone before us, and I am incredibly grateful uh, to all of those people who walked that path that allowed that day to happen. Thanks be to God. Now, I tell you that story so that I can tell you my next story and see if you can connect the two. Uh, one of the things that I think, um, especially as we stand on the precipice of the 4th of July, uh, a time when our country and as a people we come together and collectively celebrate who we are. Uh, we are, in fact, Norwegians and Swedes and Germans and Czechoslovakians and Muslims uh, and Iranians and Turkish people and even Muslim and Jewish and atheist people who come together in this place and celebrate something that I think is at least 
uh, bigger than who we are. However, it has become fashionable these days, I think, uh, to focus and point out everyone's flaws, both those present and those of the past. Uh, we do it physically, emotionally, racially, mentally, spiritually, and culturally. We do it to each other, and we even do it to ourselves, pointing out these flaws. And so it's no surprise to me that swimming in that soup, we all often feel extraordinarily anxious. Because I would somehow argue that it's part of our daily bread. What's really interesting to me is we've done this to historical figures as well, of which we, in fact, are heirs. It's popular these days to point out how racist, slave-owning, sexist, white, and male our founding fathers were. And there is much of our own past, both personally and collectively, of which to repent. All of those things are certainly true. However, it is also true that an African-American can almost 200 years later proclaim in 1963 in August. Now I say to you, my friends, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It's a dream deeply rooted in the American dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I think in the midst of a time where our culture is so focused on tearing each other down, ourselves, those even of the past, as we celebrate in the next couple of days, I think it is actually important to do so with incredibly sober judgment, recognizing for those for whom this dream has not and has never become reality, yet never losing sight of the hope that God's envisioned future, as dreamt by Martin Luther King and others, has been dreamt even by those who are part of our heritage of our sinful past. We are always both saint and sinner, forgiven and loved. I think in the context of getting ready to celebrate, it is important for us to remember that we should not judge those in the past by our present sensibilities. May God in the future judge us graciously and also judge those of our past graciously drawing on the best of what they were and repenting of the worst of which we all actually are and are also heirs. Celebrate with sober and fair judgment. I tell you that story so I can tell you this next story. And again, see if you can follow me along and make the connection. So it's been three weeks since I've preached, and one of the things that's happened, which I'm sure you are all familiar, is that there was a story about a trial right here in our own backyard about Philando and Geronimo. And I want to talk about this story because I want us all to talk about this story and have the opportunity to talk with our neighbors about this story. So let me say these things as intro. 
The taking of a human life by another never reveals the best of what God has created human beings to be. Please hear me clearly. The taking of a human life by another never reveals the best of what God has created us as human beings to be. No one deserves to die at a traffic stop. No one deserves to die at a traffic stop. No one, even if high or drunk, deserves to be killed either as a consequence or as a result of noncompliance. Let me say that again. No one, even high or drunk, deserves to be killed either as a consequence or for noncompliance. At once and together, we must hope for ourselves and all of humanity that no human being should ever be called on or asked to take the life of another because this is not the best of who God has created us to be. However, and at the same time, let us not demonize Euronimo or vilify our police officers. Let us not demonize, name call, or vilify all police officers. For you and I, in truth, are not separate from them. But in fact, studies reveal that most often police reflect both the bias and the will of the culture in which we are all responsible for having created. More often than not, police officers are not the originators of this bias or will, but instead, they in fact are reflections of ourselves. So while at once speaking the hopeful truth of God's love, that we as human beings are created to grow out of and beyond our bias and self-interested violence. Let us not, let us be careful not to create an illusion of self-righteous vindication simply because we have emotionally sided with the victim. Let me be clear and say that once again. Let us be careful not to create an illusion of self-righteous vindication simply because we have emotionally sided with the victim. In truth, we are all, both saint and sinner, simultaneously, all at once, in every moment, in every action, we are always both forgiven and loved but both. This truth should instill in us all a sense of humility, forgiveness, freedom, and grace toward ourselves and all people, police, perpetrators, founding fathers, victims, politicians, and our future leaders. I told you that story so that I could tell you my last story. On Thursday afternoon, I rode my bike over to Excelsior, which I like to do from time to time, and I plopped myself down at the Dunn Brothers out on the patio that sits out and looks out on Lake Minnetonka. It's beautiful, and it was a gorgeous afternoon, 
and I, of course, have my nose deep into a book. I'm reading about the history of Luther College and our Norwegian immigrants uh, that boldly enough created a college in 1861 at the beginning of the Civil War. Crazy, nuts people uh, who ended up making uh, an incredibly uh, robust institution down in Decorah, Iowa. If you're looking for a place to go to school, Luther College, good place, you should go there. As I was sitting there at the table, um, I, of course, couldn't help but overhear the two uh, men who were sitting at the table next to me talking about our current political situation and, most importantly, the health care bill. And what caught my attention wasn't that they were talking about it, but their reference to all the snowflakes that they had met lately. Now, I have to admit, in my own incredibly hypocritical mind, I have to acknowledge that I probably have to be in the camp to which they would call a snowflake, bleeding heart liberal, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I did look up from my book at just a second just to look at them, and in my head, my hypocritical brain was thinking of all the names I wanted to call them back. <laughs> but after I got over that, <laughs> thinking about my sermon, I missed it, a huge opportunity. I should have introduced myself. I should have breached the divide that was only about three feet, but what seemed like 30 miles emotionally, and just said, hi, uh, my name is Scott, I'm a snowflake, nice to meet you. Because <laughs> uh, I think that actually would have been enormously helpful. When Jesus um, sends the 70 out in our reading today, he basically tells them to wear no shoes, no shirt, and have no service. Which, really, what he's doing is he's sending them out as beggars. He, no shoes uh, would have been rough. Uh, no coat for the weather, uh, and no money. No purse, no satchel, no backpack. Don't take anything with you. In fact, you, he sends them out into the world as vulnerably as he can possibly imagine in order that those that they encounter have an opportunity for hospitality. Do you get that? They go out vulnerable with nothing but God's spirit to clothe them in order that when they walk into town and say, peace be with you, it provides the ones that they're meeting with an opportunity for hospitality. And in fact, what Jesus tells them, and he says it twice, he says, when you go meet them, just eat whatever they've put in front of you. He says it twice, right? There are dietary laws in the Jewish way of thinking. And he just says, go eat. If they give you McDonald's, eat McDonald's. If you're a vegan, go out and eat the McDonald's anyway, is what he says. They are incredibly vulnerable and incredibly open. And... Far too often, I think we think evangelism is something fancy, something difficult. It's not. It's an introduction and a cup of coffee. I blew it. Hi, my name is Scott. I'm a snowflake. Can we have a conversation? Because far too often, we continue to vilify one another with calling each other names, and I should have broken that cycle in the midst of Excelsior just by simply offering myself to say hello. I should have had in the back of my mind Luther's explanation of the Eighth Commandment. Think of everything your neighbor says in the best possible light. Give them the benefit of the doubt. 
uh, believe that they too are both saint and sinner. What I love about the fact that Jesus sends out all these people so vulnerably is that you would think they would come back absolutely depressed, but instead, if we would have kept reading the story, they come back just like incredibly joyful. Why? Because they sat down and they had people, they had dinner and meals with people who were different than they were, and they were open to the possibility of listening, and what got formed was community and network and connection. I told you all those stories because all of those stories will come up in your daily life. When you're talking to your neighbors, your friends, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, when you're talking to your coworkers, and there doesn't have to be anything overly complicated about being an evangelist except for saying, hi, and then thinking about things from your faith point of view and taking nothing with you except God's love and God's spirit of forgiveness and vulnerably walking into those places where somebody else can buy you a cup of coffee. This is how you're sent. Out into the world. Every single time you come. And I promise, you will return and live joyfully when you do. Amen.